Amen. Thank you. I, it is really honestly encouraging to know that at least one person here is excited that I'm on the stage right now. So thank you, Katie. Um, I don't expect that to be true for everybody else, man. It really is cool to be here. If you've been around the harbor for some time, you know that student ministry tends to kind of take over Senior Recognition Sunday. And I forgot to mention when I was up here earlier that a couple of our seniors weren't standing in front of the stage because they were actually on the stage as a part of our worship band. And they've been a part of leading worship uh, for many years now here at the harbor in student ministry and here on Sunday morning. So how cool is that, right? Absolutely. So um, I love the picture of that, man. This is, we're, we're a family. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in to, to be in that. Okay, quick, quick question for you guys. When was the last time that you were confronted by somebody with a truth about yourself? When was the last time that you were confronted by somebody with a truth about yourself? Here's, here's what I mean by this. Like uh, just recently, a couple months ago, uh, a friend of mine came up to me and he was like, hey, man, I love you. Uh, I love you so much that I need to tell you something. I was like, okay. Anybody ever come to you? You're like, all right, you got to brace him for what it's going to be. Um, absolutely, man. Share with me what, what, what's going on. He's like, um, you're a close talker. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And he's like, no, no, no. No, you're a very close talker. And, and many of you guys, maybe if you know me a little bit, you know I'm pretty extroverted, like relational. I love hanging out with people, love talking to people, love meeting new people, all that stuff. Like that's just kind of who I am. And I was a little bit unaware that, that sometimes that boils up and overflows into like when I talk to people, I get like right here, right here. And I was completely unaware of this because it's just who I am. And so I would also like to, because I realize that many of you I've met here at the harbor and I probably got up in your grill at some point to introduce myself and I'm sorry about that. But my excitement for people and my, uh, just how much I love relationships and all that, like, that's just kind of who I am, just kind of who God created me to be. And, and so sometimes I, it's good for me to know that I, I tend to get a little bit too close to people so that I don't scare people away. So I was really grateful for my friend sharing this with me. Uh, something else that I, I just know about myself that's true, like when God was like literally forming me, knitting me together in my, in my mother's womb, I really believe that he gave me an extra measure of competitiveness. Anybody else? Anybody in here competitive? Right? I got an extra measure of competitiveness. We, we grew up playing a lot of board games in our house, but we didn't play board games for fun. We played board games to win. That's why you play board games. You play games to win. Okay, so I took that into sports and athletics. I took that into every single thing, and it's really ruined any opportunity in life that I have to have fun because if I don't win, then it's not fun. And so uh, that's just who I am. Like, I didn't ask God for that. I didn't ask to, like, be frustrated to the point of anger when I don't get my way or when I lose things. Uh, like, that's literally just who I am. It's how God created me. It's how God wired me. And here's, there's, there's things that are true for each and every one of us as individuals. Maybe God hasn't wired you like me. Um, I hope he hasn't wired you like me. Um, but he's probably wired you specifically. But I think God, when he created us, humanity, I think he wired us specifically with some things. And one of those things is what I want to talk about today, and that is worship. Like, God wired us for worship. Like there's something about when God created us, he created this dynamic that we would, we would be drawn to worship things. We would, we would want to um, interact with things in an intimate way. And so as I've started to think about that, I've started to really try to figure out 
um, like, how do I define what worship is? And unfortunately, uh, like, some, like several things, the Bible doesn't just kind of spell it out X, Y, Z, like, hey, in the Bible, worship is blah, blah, blah. Like, I wish it did. There's, there's kind of this culmination of, of the Bible preaching this grand message of what worship is, and we're going to try to dig into that. But I would like to give us a little bit of a definition to kind of build a, a base off of as we talk about this so we kind of know what we're talking about. So worship is this. Worship is the heartfelt expression of reverence, adoration, and devotion to someone or something. Worship is the heartfelt expression of reverence, adoration, and devotion to someone or something. Because we're wired to worship, like, that's just who we are. We do this by default. By default, we have things in our lives that we uh, ascribe our reverence, our adoration, and our devotion to. And if we're truly wired this way, like if this is something that God just gave us and we didn't ask for it, but this is just a part of who we are, I think if we can get it right, then the potential for gain is huge. If we can get worship right, the potential for gain is huge. But on the flip side of that, if if this is something that God wired into us, if we get it wrong or we get it twisted or we misunderstand it, I think the potential is that it could hurt us or that we could miss out on something or it could have a negative effect effect on us. And so we're going to spend some time this morning talking about how God wired us for worship and the implications for that. What is worship? How do we worship? Why should we worship? All of those things. So we're going to open up into John chapter 4 in here just in a second. I wish we had all the time in the world that we could read um, quite a large chunk of scripture. Some of this is going to be familiar to you guys, but I'm going to summarize the first 18 verses of John chapter 4. Um, And we're going to look at an interaction that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman at a well. And this is, this is an intriguing interaction. Like this interaction that Jesus has with this woman has, the effects of it have been reverberating all throughout history for over 2,000 years. Like the spiritual implications of this singular conversation have been reverberating throughout history for quite some time. And, uh, and so it's noteworthy for us to take a look at Um, And so I'm going to summarize for us just the first uh, chunk of that, and then we're going to read verses 19 through 24. But here's what we need to know about uh, Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus, being a Jewish man, had no business interacting with a Samaritan woman. There's lots of politics and history and um, religion and lots of things that that lead into that, that that prove to us why this would be a problem um, economically and everything. Jews and Samaritans didn't mix. Um, and especially a Jewish man and a, and a Samaritan woman would never uh, intentionally kind of mix. So our antennas instantly go up when we read the story of Jesus interacting with a Samaritan woman. Like what, what could possibly be going on here that Jesus would see it important to interact with somebody in this way? And so there must be something there for us. And so Jesus begins to interact with her and he begins to talk with her about water. He talks with her about water. He meets her at this one. He asks her if, if she can, can pull him up some water for a drink because he's thirsty. And so the topic becomes about drinking water. Sorry, quick note. This will, be, this will help some of, the, some of us in the room. Uh, do I have any Aggies with us this morning? I, I was expecting the whoops. I definitely was expecting the overexcitement. Glad you're here. Um, right, so this dynamic between the Samaritan woman and, and the Jewish man, um, there's just certain people uh, socially that, that didn't hang out with each other then too. Um, I understand this about Aggies. I'm not an Aggie, but I married one. But I understand this because I kind of via osmosis, I inherited this. Um, that there are, there's another school that you guys don't necessarily. There's, 
See, I, I should have known this was going to happen. There's another school out there, UTTU, I don't know what you call it, um, but there's another school out there, and it would be as if, for the Aggies, maybe you're celebrating soon your 10th, 15th, 20th uh, reunion celebration of the time that you graduated from your school, and you're headed to the venue, and you find out that at the same time that you've booked the venue for your Aggie reunion, that the other school has booked their reunion at the same time. And not only that, that your senior class president and their senior class president are hanging out together. And so something is going on right there. So like your, your, your antennas are going to go up to that interaction because that just doesn't happen. But because it's happening, we want to figure it out. So Jesus is doing, it's, it's, it's kind of the same thing happening. So Jesus begins to have this conversation with this woman about water. And Jesus is intentionally trying to figure out how he can transition the conversation from water to worship. He's, he's talking first and foremost about quenching her thirst. But he doesn't want to talk about quenching her physical thirst. He wants to talk about quenching her spiritual thirst. And so he quickly transitions the, uh, the conversation from water to worship. And this is where it gets interesting because if you know um, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, then you know the ending is, is a great ending, that she begins to understand fully who God is and Jesus uh, as the Messiah, and she responds to him. But it's interesting that she doesn't respond to him until he turns the conversation from water to worship. And so we're going to read John chapter 4, verses 14, I'm sorry, verses 19 through 24, because I think there's some incredible insight about what worship is hidden within this passage. So in verse 19, it says this, Sir, I'm sorry, let me, let me say this. Uh, she responds to Jesus in a way that as he begins to reveal to her um, who he is, he knows some things about her that she doesn't think he should know. Like he knows that, uh, some of her sin problems. And so he begins to state what some of those things are, and that begins to alert to her, okay, wait, this isn't just some guy who rolled up at the well at the same time that I rolled up at the well. And so her antennas are, are beginning to go up, and this is, their, this is their interaction. In verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on the, this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Listen to this in verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus is transitioning the conversation from water to worship because he wants to break down. He wants to flip upside down the concept of worship for the Jewish people and the Samaritans. You see, in the Old Testament, worship was a whole lot about posture and about sacrifice and about rituals and about locations. It was a lot about those things. And when Jesus begins to say that true worship will worship the Father in spirit and truth, he's flipping that completely on its head. And here's what I want us to understand about what worship is. Worship is spiritual. Worship, worship is spiritual. It's an activity of the heart. And if we are so focused on the physical, then we can completely miss the heart behind worship. And Jesus wanted to begin to flip that up, upside on its head. Worship, the worship that God desires is heart-level worship. If, if worship, if we're wired for it, 
if we didn't ask for it, if this is something that we were created for, if the, the potential for gain in this, if understanding that worship is spiritual, if everything about our worship is physical, then we're missing something. And I would say we're missing something huge. The worship that God desires is heart-level worship. God himself, in verse 24, is spirit. This is one of the amazing things about who God is. The God that we worship is not limited to a single location. He doesn't uh, exit a meeting with you so that he can come meet with me. He is everywhere, at all time, in all things, available. He's near. He's not distant. So when we talk about worship and how we should worship and what worship is, he's the God who created it. He is spirit, so we must worship in spirit, understanding that it's so much more than a physical act. It's something that must take place first in our heart before it goes anywhere else. So here's, here's the problem. Oftentimes, we have a more spiritual connection with physical stuff and more of a physical connection with spiritual stuff. And this is what we see with the Samaritan woman. When Jesus begins to talk to her about the sin problems that she has in her life, that, that she's been married five times and the guy that she's with now is the sixth man, it's not even her husband, right? What he's identifying is that she has allocated her spiritual life to something physical, to a relationship. She's essentially worshiping what a man can give her in an intimate relationship. And so she's elevated the physical to a spiritual status, therefore uh, bringing down what is spiritual. And we do the same thing. Sometimes we're guilty of the same thing. Sometimes if church, if Sunday morning can be just become a a physical location where we check a box and walk out and there's no transformation that happens, what we've done is taking something that could be so spiritual and we've just dumbed it down to be so physical, therefore missing an opportunity to experience true worship. Like that's a huge problem. That's that's the potential for damage that we have in our lives when we don't fully understand what worship is. We're wired for it. We've got to understand that worship is spiritual. And so much more than that, we can't just worship in spirit. He says we must worship in spirit and in truth, in spirit and truth. The foundation of worship is truth. We cannot worship what we do not know. Simple as that. We cannot worship what we do not know. That's why when uh, maybe you students can relate to this, when you maybe start to feel attracted to somebody or interested in somebody, uh, you seek to find out every single thing about that person. And oftentimes those relationships become worship because we know them so well that now we just orbit around them. Everything about us. Like that's worship. It gets our reverence, our our adoration, our devotion, right? Worship is central on truth. It it circles truth. And we can't worship what we don't know. So if, if we are wired for worship, if we are created by God to worship, then for him to be the object of our worship, we've got to get to know him. We've got to get to know him. He's the reason for our worship. To know his goodness, to have tasted his grace, to have swam in his mercy. Like knowing those things produces worship in us because we see who we are in light of who he is. And I think misunderstanding that could be one of the greatest mistakes that we make, completely misunderstanding that, not believing that that we have to determine what truth is, can can greatly miss the point. Worship is so much more than just coming into a location 
and just singing about anything. It's centered on truth. And here's, here's a core foundational truth about who God is, is he wants a relationship with his people. He wants it. Hear me right. I didn't say he needs it because he doesn't. He does not need us. And that's what's even more amazing about who God is, is that despite the fact that he doesn't need us, we don't add any value to him in and of himself, he chooses us, and he wants us, and he draws us in. And when we understand that, it changes the game for our worship. Uh, Somebody who I think understands this well uh, is a guy named Paul, and he wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to read it here real quickly. I think it's one of I think it's one of the most helpful passages of Scripture and really understanding what worship is. So we're going to talk about it for just a brief second. It says this in Romans chapter 12. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Well, Paul just spent the previous 11 chapters of Romans talking about who God is, what he did on the cross with his son, like setting the stage for God's character. And it culminates in verse 1 of chapter 7. Therefore, I urge you, like I'm going to strongly encourage you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Guys, the truth is God has shown us incredible mercy. I don't know what your story is, but I know it's one of mercy. And God has continually in my life saved me from the, the destructive things that I deserved and also prevented me from walking into destructive things as well. Our, our stories, and, and in light of that, our lives should then just produce worship back to God for how good he is. That's the motivation. That's the heart. That's where our our worship centers from. I think there's a a handful of of ways that we can start to walk this thing out and where it starts to get really practical is right here in this room. I think I make a distinction between a couple things. There's 168 hours in a week. 168 hours in a week. And that whole slate of hours is a blank canvas of worship opportunity after opportunity that we have as individuals and collectively as the body to worship God for who he is. But I make a distinction between one hour and 167 hours. And I think God's heart is that in this hour, when we gather in this room, is the greatest opportunity to be reminded of the goodness of God, the truth, and to worship him in spirit. It's the greatest opportunity we have, but it might be the biggest missed opportunity we have too. I grew up going to church, and so maybe your story is a lot like mine. That just coming to church is kind of something that you do. If church is just something that you do, then we run the risk of missing out on this incredibly crucial part of our relationship with him. Like Sunday mornings are not just three and four song sets of music. Sunday mornings are not just some guy standing on a stage and trying to share a few encouraging words. Sunday mornings aren't just passing a collection basket and taking money and and, and using it for, like, that's not what Sunday mornings are. Sunday mornings are our opportunity to rid ourselves of everything and unite our hearts with God and remind ourselves who he is and how worthy he is of our praise. That's what Sunday mornings are. With every song 
And some of you, right, for, you're, as you're worshiping God in music, all of a sudden you just find that your hands are up in the air, and it actually has nothing to do with your hands. It has everything to do with your heart. Your heart is saying to God, man, I recognize how far I would be, how far gone I would be without you, and I feel it. And so I'm just, I'm completely open, and I'm completely yours in this moment. And that the words that, that you can sing from memory all throughout the week, when we come into this place, it's a chance to unite our hearts that when we open up God's word, we are hearing the actual words of God, the foundation of our worship, the truth, the only thing that we can bank our lives on. It's not just a pep talk. It's the truth. That when that uh, tithe basket comes, when we receive our offering, that every cent that gets placed in that basket is an opportunity to thank God for everything that he's given us down to the last penny and saying, God, my money is not mine, it's yours, and I want you to use it. It's worship. Worship is community. Worship is coming into this place and not just beelining it for that one seat that you sit in every week, but it's for the opportunity to smile at somebody and welcome somebody and hold a door for somebody. Last week I spent uh, the first uh, service portion in a three-year-old's classroom, Tiger's class, and it was nothing but worship in there. Because there were adults who chose to be there, to hand out goldfish, to clean up spilled water, to read books, to play with puzzles, to put on worship music, to read a Bible story. It was community. This one hour was so much more than just a chance to come in and, and, and leave. It was powerful. Like, that's what worship is. And the 167 hours that will precede this one are fueled by that. But if we walk into this place just thinking more about what's to come in the afternoon than what's right in front of us, man, what a missed opportunity. Man, I, I hope that when people come to the harbor, they worship. They find opportunities to worship. And they can personally, individually experience intimate worship with God as well as alongside their brothers and sisters in Christ and their family worship God together. This hour has huge potential if we won't miss it. And then the 167 hours, I think Paul is, is really honing in a lot on this when he writes in uh, Romans 12, 1, because he says, this is your true and proper worship, to live as a sacrifice, to choose, to live for somebody greater than yourself. That's worship. So that every opportunity that stems out of this place, if you're a mom, that you walk out of this place each week and you're more excited than ever that you get to worship by raising the beautiful children that God has gifted to you, by teaching them and loving them and nurturing them and even disciplining them when they need it and raising them up to know Jesus. Like that is your act of worship. That's the 167 for you. That for this season, God has given you this wonderful gift and you would take advantage of every moment that you have to love them like a, like a loving father or mother would do. Whether you're a businessman and you show up to work every day and you work hard, but you do it with a high level of integrity. And your aim is not just to make a lot of money, but it's to make a lot of impact. Not only on the people that you employ, but the people that you service. 
And you look at every opportunity as an interaction with somebody as an opportunity to worship. Because you know that it's pleasing to God when you treat people with respect. And you, and you carry yourself with such high character integrity. Right? Your business is worship. It's so much more than just this one hour. It's the 167. If you're a student, some of you guys who are getting ready to graduate, like you've got just a few more days in high school, and those days are opportunities and blank canvases for worship. That every assignment that is put in front of you, that you would work hard and you would turn it in and you would do it right. And you would know that it's not a coincidence that you sit in the classes that you sit next to the people that you sit next to. That God wants to use you and you worship God by making yourself available to talk to them. That's worship. I think probably in my own life, the area where, where I worship the least is my marriage. And God would say, man, like the, through the 167, every hour, every moment that you have in your home with your spouse, that you would love her and serve her, that is worship. And it's pleasing. If, if Romans 12.1 is true, we have the opportunity by the way that we worship God to please him. How incredible is that? That the God of the universe would be pleased by us. Those who oftentimes have rebelled against him. Guys, you are wired for worship. Like you, you give reverence and adoration and devotion to things and to, something, and to something or someone. You are wired for it. The big question is, what is getting your worship? What is the object of your worship? And I would be remiss if we didn't take just a, a moment this morning to just evaluate that personally. Because I'll be the first to admit that oftentimes my worship moves quickly from God to other things, to, to things that I think are good, that God has created, but that are not him. So what is the object of your worship? And if, and if you identify that the object of your worship is anything but God, would you be willing to do a realignment? Would you be willing to, uh, willing to examine what the truth is about who God is? Would you be willing to uh, position your life differently so that you can worship God, who's the creator of all things, instead of just some of the stuff that he created? Man, if you understand that you are wired for worship, and if you believe that God is who he said he is, then I think we will be fueled to worship him. And so I pray that as we leave this place, um, we, would, we would be realigning our worship increasingly to fall under God, and we would be able to thrive in a vibrant relationship with him. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your truth. God, thank you for um, how you've given it to us freely. Um, we didn't deserve it, but you've given it to us. And God, uh, as you revealed yourself to us, um, many of our hearts are just exploding with gratitude. And God, we just want to worship you for who you are. And God, would you help us to understand more fully the opportunity we have in the one, in this one hour when we come to this place to worship you for who you are. But God, would that not come at the cost of the other 167 hours that you've gifted us? The blank canvas, an opportunity to live for you. God, would you expand our definition of what worship is so that we can see it for what it is, God, and we can worship 
by stewarding well the things that you've given us, God, whether it be our businesses, our families, our relationships, our money. God, we worship you. And we thank you for all of this. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I let you guys go, I have to admit, um, in, prep, in preparing for this message, I, I needed a lot of help to, to try and communicate what worship really is. And there's a resource that we have here at the harbor that you may or may not be aware of. Um, it's a book, Fully Alive, that our senior pastor, Rick Baldwin, wrote many years ago. Not many years ago. 2005. Sorry, Rick. Um, <laughs> wasn't that long ago. Um, but as I was studying for this week um, to try and just prepare to actually teach what worship was, um, I found this resource to be the most beneficial resource alongside Scripture in my understanding of what worship is. And so um, what I've got uh, Rick's permission to do is to make these books available to you guys as you're exiting um, in the lobby. You're going to go out to the lobby, and on the right side as you're leaving, there's going to be a table there where you can purchase these books. They're 10 bucks. Um, none of this money goes to Rick. This all goes back to the church in just funding this resource. This has been an incredible resource for us as a church in fueling mentorships and spiritual formation and a lot of things. And so um, this would be a game changer for you if you want to be um, on fire in worship for God. Like, it, that's just the truth. Um, I've experienced it, and I, and I just want to urge you guys to grab this. If you don't have $10, then please take this as a gift from us to you. Um, if you do, then that would uh, greatly help us cover the cost of this. But we want you guys to understand what worship is and thrive in it. And so this will be a really helpful resource to that. Thank you guys so much for being with us this morning. We look forward to seeing you soon.